Similar to the president, Kellyanne Conway joins us live next. Plus, Cohen in court. Michael Cohen is going to flip on this president. The president says his embattled attorney would never cooperate against him. Is he sure? And nuclear shutdown? Kim Jong-un says he'll stop nuclear tests, and President Trump is taking credit. We have come a long way with North Korea. As the two sides gear up for what could be a landmark sit-down. If we don't think it's going to be successful, we won't have it. Can Trump and Kim actually make a deal? The top senator on the Foreign Relations Committee, Bob Corker, is here ahead. Dana Bash in for Jake Tapper in Washington, where the state of our union is testing loyalties. President Trump is in Mar-a-Lago, where he spent the weekend sending rapid-fire tweets defending his personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, against the notion that he might flip now that Cohen is under criminal investigation. The president called Cohen a fine person with a wonderful family, tweeting Saturday, most people will flip if the government lets them out of trouble, even if it means lying or making up stories. Sorry, I don't see Michael doing that, despite the horrible witch hunt and dishonest media. The president also called an unknown person a drunk, drugged-up loser and continued his Twitter tirade against the former FBI director, James Comey, suggesting the newly released Comey memos prove the special counsel's investigation is illegal and saying Comey is a proven liar and leaker. Here with me is counselor to the president, Kelly Ann Conway. Kelly Ann, thank you so much for coming in. Appreciate it. Okay, so you just heard me mention that tweet, the president talking about Michael Cohen, saying people will flip if the government lets them out of trouble. He thinks Cohen won't do that. Why is the president, though, talking about the notion of Michael Cohen flipping if the president didn't do anything wrong. You have to look at everything the president has said about Michael Cohen and the FBI raid. He's defending someone who he's worked with and known for a dozen plus years, Dana, who he thinks is being treated unfairly. Look at what happened this week, a tale of uh, two tales, if you will. You've got Jim Comey on the one hand going out on a big book tour after saying, I don't leak, I'm not sneaky, I don't make any weasel moves, and doing all of the above again and again, including in his memos. More on that in a moment. And then you've got Michael Cohen, who the president believes is being treated unfairly at this moment. Uh, Also, the methods really have disturbed the president. He said in the cabinet room when he first got word of the FBI raid almost two weeks ago tomorrow that he felt the methods were a, quote, disgrace. And that should concern everyone. Nobody's talked about the contents of the documents. People are speculating and prevaricating, particularly not under oath on TV shows. But the method should concern people. I mean, look at the look at the DNC server. The FBI didn't bother to secure or search the DNC's server when the DNC Kelly, said let, no. Let me, let me and it back. had been hacked. And, and then and here, Michael Cohen is subject to a raid by the same organization. Okay, let me get back to the original question, though, which is, at its core, what does the president have to hide that he is worried that Michael Cohen will flip over? Meaning, no, what does he have? What information question. does he have to give? That wasn't your original question, Dana, respectfully, and that isn't what he's saying in these tweets. In these tweets, he's saying this is a fine family man who he worked with for many years. He's, he thinks he's being treated unfairly. Well, my, my initial question was, what does he have to hide if the president didn't do anything wrong? My question is, are you confident? Just trying to get at the same answer, the same notion, uh, and see if you can tell me if the president did unequivocally nothing wrong that he is worried that Michael Cohen will tell the feds about. 
Dana, the president is, you're asking me, what do I know is in documents over a dozen or so years. I'm telling you that the president's concern has been for Michael Cohen and the way he's been treated. And he has said that again and again in tweets and again and again with the cameras rolling, with the media in the cabinet room and elsewhere. And why is that? Because I see people go on TV constantly who don't know President Trump at all and say he's loyal to no one but himself. That is completely not true. He stands up for people in his inner circle and people he knows when he thinks they're being treated unfairly. And he's done it again and again. He shows a great sense of loyalty to people whom he thinks he's being treated unfairly. But remember, too, this investigation of almost a year was supposed to be about Russian collusion. Look at all the screaming graphics CNN has invested in. Look at all the airtime and the ink well, spill this on is, this. But this is separate. And now we're up in, well, yes, now we're up but, but you, you said there are people on TV who don't know the president. You are on TV and you know the president quite well. You work for the president and you're here on his uh, on his behalf and behalf of the White House. Can you tell me that the president is can you assure the American people that the reason the president isn't tweeting concern about Michael Cohen flipping because he is in potential legal jeopardy, given whatever he knows that Michael Cohen has that the feds now have from that search? Dana, the president is talking about Michael Cohen here. The SDNY has jurisdiction over this. The Southern District of New York has jurisdiction over this case now. And the, and the president has made very clear that he thinks this is an overwrought process. Let me go I mean, to it. By, by the way, also to answer your question yeah, very please. pointedly, this president was told three times by Jim Comey privately that he wasn't under investigation by the FBI. Comey decided against revealing that publicly and probably should have in fairness, just the way he should have told President-elect Trump on January 6th in Trump Tower that his political opponents had funded some phony dossier against him. Uh, the Washington Post, of all places, reported less than two weeks ago that this president has been told he's not a target in the investigation. But so I think we're answering your question well, in many different ways. Yes, you just but want that's, to now take it into well, a different well, because jurisdiction. The, well, absolutely. I mean, I didn't take it into a different what jurisdiction. That's what for. The, the, the president's own Justice Department took it right, another, another direction, away direction from everything because they got information that they felt was important enough and that a judge felt was important enough to raid his personal attorney's office. Uh, Donna, all of this, of course, diverts attention and focus away from all the great things this president is doing as president. And I hope CNN will start to cover that a little bit more because the American people certainly do like what's going on, um, including this president making huge strides in short order toward denuclearizing the And we Korean are going to talk about that. It's a huge in, issue. In, in, in great detail later, but you talk about diversions. The president is to blame for some of those diversions with his Twitter feed. And one example, I mentioned this, he uh, talked about news media coverage of Michael Cohen. And in that part of that tweet, he said they use non-existent sources and a drunk, drugged up loser who hates Michael, a fine person with a wonderful family. Who's he talking about? I don't know who he's talking about there, but I'm very proud that this president has led the charge like no other president before him to try to bend the curve in the right direction on the roiling crisis next door of opioids and other drug use. He just secured $6 billion in funding in that latest budget. That's an unheard amount of money, historic amount of funding, and we have a whole-of-government approach in tackling the opioid crisis. President Trump went first. He's inviting everybody to share their stories. We have them up on the whitehouse.gov website, crisisnextdoor.gov. Everybody can share their stories 
really see, and then should go take a look at these stories. Uh, and we have, and he you know we first. have. You did. You, he went first, you, but excuse me, you've done whole first. interviews but on this, and I appreciate that you're talking about the opioid.com. And I want to make sure because I saw people pointed out to me. I certainly didn't see. I enjoyed my Saturday. Um, offline, but people who live online were going back and forth about this yesterday. So I do want to say on behalf of the president, he went first in sharing his story. He okay. talked on October 26 about his his brother, his Fred brother Hughes, Fred. I, I agree with that. To alcoholism so 42. given that, so I'm not why would give he, people an inch on that? Why would he tweet out attacking somebody uh, as drunk and drugged up as a negative sort of ad hominem attack? And we won't even say who it is. I don't know who he's referring to there. Is it appropriate? Uh, remember, it appropriate he's also defending Michael the Cohen there States too. To remember, he's he's he is also defending Michael Cohen in that tweet as well. He's saying it's somebody who doesn't care for Michael Cohen going and speaking to media sources. Should about the him. president just one more on this? The president's going to tweet something like that. Shouldn't he own it and explain it? He owns it. He he owns everything. If he did. Then why wouldn't he say who he's talking about? You could read the article and make your own. I'm sure CNN will talk about it for the next week. I'm sure there'll be graphics and chirons and everything else. Because after all, this president needs his his new secretary of state confirmed so the chief diplomat can go back over to North Korea and elsewhere to sit down and try to denuclearize the Korean Peninsula, which is in everybody's interest. But and we're, we're going to make the tax cuts permanent. We want to get this obstruction in the Senate, the president's nominees. He's got over 100 and some nominees just sitting there waiting for a hearing. You've had more cloture votes on this president than all the four predecessors combined. It's crazy. But I guess you don't want to talk about it, so I will. Well, we do talk about it. This, but, this affects but these the are, American people. But these are, uh, I guess, Senate, if you're in a position. Tweet, what would CNN talk about? It's, I'm very, I'm incredibly you know what? curious. We would talk a lot more about the, the issues but that he's wouldn't. not diverting you from. You would not, we, because we when would, he doesn't and we, tweet, and we do. don't anyway. And, and, and we do. But because he's tweeting a lot this weekend, I have to ask you about it, because you're representing him. Answer. You mentioned Comey and that we would talk about him later. So the president repeatedly has called him a liar. Um, just hours after Comey's memos were released, the president tweeted this. James Comey's memos just out and show clearly that there was no collusion and no obstruction. Also, he leaked classified information. Wow, will the witch hunt continue? So here's my question. If Comey is a liar, how can the memos show that the president is vindicated? How can the president have it both ways? Very easy. First of all, Comey said conflicting things on his own book tour this week. He can't even keep his story straight when he's out there among what he thinks is going to be a hero's welcome with the mainstream media. Unfortunately, many people, including your own Jake Tapper, pushed back on him, really filleted him uh, last week. This is Jim Comey, who in those memos never says the president of the United States obstructed justice, told the president at least three times that he wasn't under investigation. And never in those memos, Dana, does then FBI director Jim Comey say he's told anybody in the Justice Department that he's concerned about the president's credibility or conduct. He doesn't bother to do that. So he's already a proven leaker and liar. And by the way, Ask nobody else, uh, no other than Andrew McCabe, his former number two, whose attorney this week was pushing back on Jim Comey. And they're arguing about Andrew McCabe now has criminal referral just this week because of lying about leaking to the press. Think about that. Lying about leaking to the press, the number two at the FBI, now in a battle with the number one at the FBI. They presided over an FBI that never bothered to get the DNC server to search it, to secure it. Never, never bothered to clean up their act at the highest levels. These people 
uh, Strasik and Orr and Page, who are against Kelly, and we're almost Trump. we're almost out of time. I just want to ask you one question that a lot of people are asking me, probably you too, and that is. What is up with your husband's tweets? Your husband is a very well-respected lawyer, um, and he's been sending some tweets that have been critical of the administration. Um, just an example, in response to a tweet he saw saying President Trump's aides are reluctant to speak for him because he contradicts them later, your husband wrote, so true, it's absurd. He writes a lot of things that are also supportive, and he writes a lot of things about corgis and Philadelphia Eagles and sports, too. Uh, but the fact is, uh, well, two things I'll say to you. Number one, that, again, that woman who lost the election, whose name I never see on TV anymore, is wrong. That women, I think she said white women, have to listen to their uh, the men in their life to to form their own political opinions. Wrong again, lady. Uh, number two, it's fascinating to me that CNN would go there, but it's very good for the whole world to have just witnessed that it's now, fair, excuse me, that it's now fair game what people's, um, how people's spouses and significant others may differ with them. I'm really surprised, but very, I, in well, some ways, relieved and gratified to see that. That no, should really be fun. No, I, I actually, first of all, I would ask you that if you were a man and no, your you wife wouldn't. were a thousand percent, I no, would. No, 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 And it's not There's about that. It's about, it's, about, it's about questioning, uh, publicly questioning what you are doing for a living in, with regard to your boss. And it has nothing to do no, with your and gender. It has nothing and it to has, do with my spouse. And, right, uh, that's why I'm just asking. Oh, no, 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 you just, brought him, you just brought him into this. So this ought to be fun moving forward, Dana. Okay. We're now going to talk about other people's, people's spouses and significant others just because they either work in the White House or at CNN. Are we going to do that? Because you just, no, you just went there. Yes, yes. CNN just went there. Look, differences opinions. By the way, this isn't critical. I'm just asking oh, of about. Of course it was. It was meant to harass and embarrass. But let me just tell you something. Absolutely not. Let me just tell you something. By definition... Spouses have a difference of opinion I when adultery is happening. More. By definition, spouses have a difference of opinion when one is, I don't know, draining the joint bank account to support things that maybe the other disagrees with. So this is a fascinating cross the Rubicon moment, and, uh, and I'll leave it at that. Okay. Well, that certainly was not intended to cross any Rubicon. It was actually intended to be... Um, somewhat lighthearted about the fact that we are all grown-ups who have different opinions, but I'm sorry that, that you took you it. Said. You said, I've got to ask you a question that's yes. on everybody's mind. It is. It is. It is. I'm sure you, I'm sure you hear it, too. It, it is. is. And it is hard to have, to have two uh, adults in, in a situation like this, but it is unusual sorry, for... I'm sorry, what does that mean? It is unusual I'm sorry, for, it's hard for whom? I'm sorry, it back is, it up. It, it is hard for, it is hard for okay. the two adults, my husband you and, and me? You and your husband. My point now is you're that, talking about my marriage again? I'm not talking about your marriage. You I'm Kellyanne. Husband. Kellyanne. Here was my whole point. In this, it's hard for him. Is that you are a professional working for the president of the United States, and your husband is a very well-respected lawyer. And my point is, is that we don't often see. In fact, I don't remember the last time we saw somebody working for the president in a high-profile position when their spouse is saying critical things about them. That is all. Uh, that is all. Well, that, A, is not true. Um, there are other family members of people who work at the White House who certainly don't uh, support the president privately and publicly. But I will tell you this, uh, and there are people who have been in his administration who yeah. worked for Democrats or gave money to mm -hmm. Democrats. But all that aside, mm -hmm. that really is meant to divert attention from, again, the big issues that America cares about. But like I said, CNN chose to go there. I think that's going to be fascinating moving forward. 
And don't deny that when you just said it must be difficult. I do want you to clarify, though, for the whole worldwide audience, and in fact, for me, since you raised me, mm-hmm. it's, quote, difficult for whom to have two adults? No, no, my, my point only is that difficult for two? my children who no. are probably watching you right now because it's not hard for well, them. Well, I didn't say They've already tweet. seen a double standard for their mother for two years. It is not about network, gender. I don't want to have this conversation. But you know tough. that I don't believe no, 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 that I it's didn't about say, gender. No, no, it's not about gender. Hold on. It's okay. not about gender. There's been a different standard for me than there have been for other people. And we bite our tongue plenty because I work for the people of this country, United States government, the presidency, mm-hmm. and the president of the United States. So there's plenty that I don't say. There's plenty that I don't talk. Absolutely. I'll just, I'll, I'll, just give you, say, I'll just give you, just because you, because be you went back here. Because you went there. You were always invited back here. Um, because you went there, I'll just give an example, because you asked, Andrew McCabe. The president went after Andrew McCabe for something that his wife did, ran as a Democrat, and that had nothing to do with the president. No, 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 no. The president knew something early that everybody else is now finding out. The president has excellent instincts, and he knew Jim But he didn't Jim say Comey that. And he talked Cade. about his wife. Uh, you don't know that he didn't say that. Yeah, he knew that Andrew McCabe could not be trusted. And look what happened just this week. Andrew McCabe, it's admitted now that he lied four times, at least three under oath, Dana, criminal referral just this week because he lied about leaking to the media. This is the number two at the FBI. This should have everybody concerned. Everybody should go back and look at what the FBI was doing and not doing while Comey and McCabe were in charge of it. And they all thought, if not wanted, the other person to win the election. And that so colored and politicized so much of their actions and their inactions. Well, as you know, as you mentioned, the inspector general is asking to look into Andrew McCabe, and we are covering that, and we will continue to cover that. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Kellyanne. Appreciate it. And President Trump, as Kellyanne just talked about, is touting a major new announcement from North Korea, saying on Twitter, North Korea has agreed to suspend all nuclear tests and close up a major test site. This is very good news for North Korea and the world. Big progress, that's what he said. Uh, And the White House has yet to announce a time and place or location planned for this upcoming summit. We are certainly looking to see that between the president and Kim Jong-un. But President Trump is saying he would walk out of a meeting uh, if North Korea is not fruitful in these talks. We want to discuss this with a very important guest, the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Bob Corker, Republican of Tennessee. Senator Corker, North Korea claims that they are giving this big concession and giving up the testing program. But how is that a concession, given that their testing appears to be complete because they have advanced enough with their nuclear program? Uh, Dana, look, this is a a great public relations effort uh, by Kim Jong-un, and and I think people recognize that. I think everyone uh, within the administration and Congress approaches this with skepticism and caution. And Yet, uh, I'm glad the two leaders are talking. I'm glad Mike Pompeo is helping prepare the way, as are hopefully other officials. But we'll see what happens. This is a a good public relations move. We'll see. We want to see some substance, and I hope it occurs. So you say it's a public relations move. You you don't believe them? Do you you not believe that they will denuclearize? Well, I don't think he said anything about denuclearizing on the front end necessarily. But, sure. Uh, well, what, forgive me. He, we'll we'll so, stop. We'll so, stop testing. We'll stop testing right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you can easily reverse that, and all of us know that. And uh, but again, I think he's handling himself well to begin uh, to begin the meetings in a way that almost put uh, the United States on the defensive. But uh, look, we'll see where it goes. I'm glad they're talking, and I hope we have a number of uh, precursor meetings to make sure that. The context for all of this is set in the appropriate way. So 
you're right, the North Koreans certainly haven't promised to denuclearize on the front end, but they are saying that ultimately they would put that on the table. Is that something that you believe? After all of these years, decades uh, of the North Koreans saying, you know, no way, you think that this time they're telling the truth? Look, this has uh, been a 25-year saga, and uh, again, we approach it with uh, caution, skepticism, but I'm glad the meetings are taking place, and we'll just have to see what happens. I mean, I think for anyone to try to use conjecture to figure out where this goes at this time is just inappropriate. What we need to do is prepare ourselves, which I'm sure the president's uh, being prepared for this. We have uh, the context set right, and, and we'll see what happens. Well, one last question. Uh, beyond that, it, one last question on North Korea. Do you believe or do you think that the U.S. should be prepared to make an agreement that does not include complete denuclearization in North Korea? No, I don't. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, again, we'll see where it goes. We're, this is just the front end, Dana, and you know what I mean. This is, uh, this, we have no idea where this is going to go. Um, and again, I think to, uh, you know, denuclearization has been the, been our policy for years. This is where the president is, where the administration is, where we all are. But let, let's see where it goes. Let's don't start negotiating back and saying, oh, we'll let, yeah. uh, we'll let them do X before we even start the meetings. I want to turn to Russia. You have said that relations with Russia are at their worst since the Cuban Missile Crisis and that there is a, quote, real risk for an armed conflict with Russia. Frankly, hearing you, the chairman of the Foreign Relations uh, Committee, say that is somewhat terrifying. Um, do you think that the U.S. should be preparing for an armed conflict with Russia? No, I th what I'm saying is, look, they're, they, our relations are at that low point, the lowest since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, our leadership knows that. Uh, Secretary Mattis knows that, and therefore, you know, the, the rhetoric, uh, the, the kinds of things we're doing to deconflict in Syria are very important because things are, things are hot right now between us, and it's not that we should be preparing, it should, it's that we should be aware that miscalculations could lead us to a very bad place, and I think that's why you see Secretary Mattis saying the things he's saying and urging the caution that he's urging. So if you saw during this last effort, uh, fortunately, uh, when we went into Syria, as we should have recently and, and did what we did, um, you saw that uh, there was conversation, there were conversations that had taken place and Russia had its defensive mechanisms uh, off. And they were not operating. And so, so you know, that, that was a good thing. But I think what you're, you're seeing our leadership be concerned about where things might go if mm -hmm. there's a miscalculation because of the tremendous deterioration of the relationship that's taken place over the course of the last year and a half. Mr. Chairman, let's talk about something that's going to happen in your committee tomorrow, uh, certainly this week, and that is the nominee for Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is unlikely to be approved by your committee. The first time that this is going to happen likely since about 1925. Does it give you pause to ultimately ram through his nomination on the Senate floor? Well, I don't think allowing people to vote is called ramming, okay? Uh, this is a person that's highly qualified. He was first in his class at West Point. Uh, did the Harvard Law Review, was in charge of that, uh, incredibly qualified person, knows more about what's happening in the world probably than anybody in America because of his post at CIA. 
Look, Dana, uh, under ordinary times, he would be confirmed overwhelmingly. Secretary Clinton had one negative vote when she came through. John Kerry had no negative votes when they came through committee. He is more qualified probably than either of them, but at least as qualified. And we just live in a very uh, partisan environment. My friends on the Democratic side, and they are my friends, um, I could try to make them feel bad about this. I could, uh, they've got in their heart of hearts not feel comfortable with what mm -hmm. they're doing, but the and base, the base, their, their base abhors this president so much and vice versa, uh -huh. I mean, it goes both ways, um, that we're in an era where somebody like this who's qualified, unfortunately, is likely to be voted out without recommendation or with a negative recommendation. But to allow, that's not ramming through, mm -hmm. that's happened before. And to allow senators to vote on this nominee on the floor is the right thing to happen. It's just sad that our nation has devolved politically to this point Senator. where someone of his caliber is not going to be Senator, you confirmed in the committee itself. You're mentioning politics. You are not running for re-election uh, in Tennessee. The race to replace you in the Senate could determine whether Republicans hold on to the majority. This week, you called the Democratic candidate, Phil uh, Bredesen, quote, a friend, uh, a very good mayor, uh, a good governor, a good business person. Now, we're told that the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, told you in a private meeting that those comments could hurt the Republicans, unhelpful in the midterms. Is Mitch McConnell right? Look, I, I, it's, it's hard to believe that the leadership of... Uh, the, the, the senatorial committee on the Republican side would even leak that story out to the Washington Post and cause you to ask me about it. Look, I, I've sent the, the maximum contribution to the Republican nominee on our side. I've said I'm going to plan to vote for this person. I was in a long meeting where I talked about the, they were asking me about uh, Governor Bredesen. He is my friend. I'm not going to campaign against him, but I'm supporting our nominee. Can you tell uh, me why Republican Marsha Blackburn is better to represent your state in Tennessee and take your seat than Phil Bredesen? Well, I think most people in our state, uh, it is a red state, will focus on the first vote she makes, and that's the vote to uh, elect the majority leader. And I think at the end of the day, that's going to be a big factor uh, in the race. But, uh, you know, Dana, the, the rest of the story wasn't uh, written. Uh, during the interview I had so, with the Christian Science Monitor and, and, and some Senator, that's not a ringing endorsement of Marsha Blackburn to say that she should be elected just because she's going to vote for Mitch McConnell. Well, um, <laughs> Dana, you know, I've, I'm supporting the nominee. Uh, I've worked with the nominee for some time, and, and I don't know what else to say. Okay, we'll leave it there. Uh, the Senate Foreign Relations Chairman, uh, Bob Corker, thank you so much for joining me today. Appreciate it. Thank you. And President Trump is defending Michael Cohen, calling him a fine person and saying he doesn't think he will flip. But will Twitter praise from the president be enough to keep his loyal fixer from revealing Trump's secrets? Our panel will be here to discuss it. Michael Cohen is going to flip on this president 
and he knows where the bodies are buried, or at least many of them, and I do not think that the president will last through the balance of his term. I just don't. Now, we're going to find out if I'm right or wrong, but I think he's going to ultimately resign the presidency. That was Stormy Daniels' attorney, Michael Avenetti, foreshadowing what he claims or thinks is a potential outcome of Michael Cohen's investigation, uh, saying that it could lead to big trouble for the president. My panel is here with me now. And Linda Chavez, I want to um, step back here listening to that and look at the big picture. We've been talking and hearing so much about the Russia investigation until the last couple of weeks where the focus has shifted to the Southern District of New York, separate from the Russia investigation, that into the president's personal attorney. Is this what he should be, he, the president, should be more worried about? Well, I think everybody thinks this is the more serious investigation, but I don't think that you can necessarily separate the two mm -hmm. because some of the allegations, and they are just that, allegations and suspicion, uh, is that the president, uh, during some of his uh, bankruptcies during some of his financial difficulties, had trouble getting financing for his properties and for his deals. And a lot of condos got sold to a lot of people from Russia uh, and Russian backers in Ukraine. And so some of that material might in fact be in uh, Mr. Cohen's documents. Mm -hmm. And so the two might actually end up coming together, but it's always safe to say in Washington, follow the money. Yeah. And, and there are reports, Bakari, that Stormy Daniels' first attorney, not Michael uh, Avenatti, is now cooperating with. Well, I, I think that what we what we see is that Michael Cohen actually got attorneys for both uh, Ms. McDougal and Stormy Daniels as well. And they both had the same attorney uh, and they apparently didn't have any independence. So that in itself is unique. That in itself causes many conflicts. But I still think that we're going to watch this Russia investigation flesh out. I think that this is just something tangential. People felt of, they, they, we just don't remember that we started with Whitewater and ended up with the blue dress. Mm -hmm. I mean, these things, they meander and they go throughout and they run their course. I'm interested to see what happens and how Russia actually infiltrated our election system. Um, so we can prevent it from happening again. I think that is the most important thing that we have to worry about, making sure that we're protecting our democracy. And I think all of that will come out. And Senator Santorum, that is true. But on the Michael Cohen question, um, the president is facing some difficult circumstances, as we saw him tweeting about. Um, there's a piece in The New York Times that he clearly did not um, react favorably to, illustrating his relationship with Michael Cohen. And here's part of that story. For years, Mr. Trump treated Mr. Cohen poorly with, a, with gratuitous insults, dismissive statements, and at least twice threatens, threats of being fired. Mr. Trump's lawyers and advisors have become resigned to the strong possibility that Mr. Cohen, who has a wife and two children and faces the prospect of devastating legal fees, if not criminal charges, could end up cooperating with federal officials who are investigating him. You know, look, the, the uh, attorneys, uh, U.S. attorneys have a tremendous power to, uh, to put that kind of pressure on somebody, to, uh, to basically threaten bankruptcy uh, if, they, if they don't cooperate, because they'll continue along in arduous prosecution, which, which someone can't afford. So uh, it's hap let's, say, let's say this, it's happened before because that kind of pressure. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what Michael Cohen's going to do. I don't think anybody knows what Michael Cohen's going to do. Uh, but I think it, it points to the larger issue, which you said, the big picture. The Russia investigation 
other than finding out what Russia's role in the in the, in the election is going nowhere with respect to Donald Trump and any, any kind of any kind of wrongdoing of Donald Trump. I think that's fairly clear at this point. And so everybody's now turning their attention to Michael Cohen and what's going on here. I don't think that's a natural meandering of the situation. That is that is a, 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 a special prosecutor gone rogue, which I think he has, and trying to find anything that can hit this president. And that's the reason special prosecutors are a really bad idea. Special prosecutor gone rogue? Oh, Dana, I want to go back to a point, though, that Bakari was making. Well, let me say, Mr. Cohen is the president's cleaner and muscle man. And now the cleaner and muscle man is under investigation. He's in trouble right now. So that could lead to a lot of trouble for President Trump. At least it certainly has led to a lot of drama for us in the United States of America. We can't focus on other stuff, you know, things that are going wrong in, in the streets of this country. But I will. The point that Bakari was making about we need to find out what really happened here and nobody is above the law, not even the president. If he is in involved and engaged and he has to pay the consequences, Mr. Cohen does. Everybody in this web of deceit has to. But we do as a country have to focus on how do we fix our election system so that it is not in jeopardy of being violated by Russia or anybody else. We have the uh, uh, we have not dealt with the Voting Rights Act in this country since Shelby v. Holder. We have the Help America Vote Act that gave money out to states to we still don't have the type of equipment in this country that can assure the safety and integrity of our elections from now into the future. And that is vitally important. And, and you know, I think one of the most revealing things to come out in the Comey interviews and in the uh, memos is his comment about what happened when President then President elect Trump was informed about the Russia involvement in the election. Everybody in the room, including the chief of staff, then Reince Priebus, seemed totally unconcerned about Russia being involved in trying to tamper with our free and democratic elections. They have an unholy love of but Russia. I, like, but, we can't, but we cannot say that the, this does not involve the president. Let, let, let me be clear, because I know Rick said that earlier. The fact is, the president's national security advisor has been indicted. His campaign chairman potentially has been has been indicted. Potentially, I don't know how we get potentially wrongfully. Yeah. Well, we know Paul Manafort is not wrongfully well, indicted. We know that it has, Gates, nothing, it has nothing Rick to do Gates with the, not, the election. Rick either. Gates is not wrongfully it has indicted. Has nothing to do with the and election. And thirteen people have been Russian nationals have been indicted. So we can't say. I that agree this is, that Ru we, Russia tampered with the election. That's not the point. And 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 there is should be no surprise. Because Russia's been trying to tamper with elections for for and will continue. And to do we are so. going to continue to talk about this week after week. I'm sure until we get the answer. Up next, it's usually not even a question that you need to ask. Will the president have the support of his own party for re-election? But several high-profile Republicans say they aren't ready to get on board with Trump in 2020 yet. That's next. We'll focus on the first vote she makes, and that's the vote to uh, elect the majority leader. And I think at the end of the day, that's going to be a big factor uh, in the race. But, uh, you know, Dana, the, the rest of the story wasn't uh, written uh, during the interview I had so, with the Christian Science Monitor. And, and, and Senator, that's not a ringing endorsement of Marsha Blackburn to say that she should be elected just because she's going to vote for Mitch McConnell. Well, um, <laughs> Dana, you know, I'm supporting the nominee. Uh, I've worked with the nominee for some time, and, and I don't know what else to say.
That was Republican Senator Bob Corker speaking to me just moments ago, offering a not-so-ringing endorsement for the Republican running for his seat in Tennessee, Congresswoman Marsha Blackburn. My panel is back with me now. Senator Santorum, I'll put this to you. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, look, I think it goes to, you know, uh, Tip O'Neill said all politics is local. That's not true. All politics is personal. Mm. And, and this is really a, a case in point. I mean, uh, number one, uh, as mayor uh, of Chattanooga, Bob Corker had a great relationship sure. with, with Phil Bredesen. And so I'm, he's even said, I have a good personal relationship with the governor, a uh, former governor. And Marsha Blackburn uh, boxed Bob Corker out of maybe making a comeback and running again. Yep. So there's some so it's it's personal. And 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 I don't I understand that. I mean, this is a very difficult thing. He's stepping forward and saying she's going to cast the right vote. I'm for the nominee. That's all you're going to get out of me, because on the personal side, I'm just not there. Mm -hmm. And um, he did. He, he, he sort of laid it out there. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. No. I think it's I think I understand it. And and, uh, you know, good for Bob. Corker. No, you're right. It's it's very human. Yeah, it's not very political. But well, he's not running for anything. No, no, he's it's done. not. He's I mean, not. But 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 this is to, why have to be political. This is this is why Republicans uh, in, in Congress, well, they're very concerned in the Senate. Uh, because they felt like the Senate was in good shape. Now they're actually not so sure. And the reason why we're talking about this is Tennessee, Senator Corker's seat, could be pivotal. That's right. And, and you know, the, I think a lot of Republicans are sort of almost conceding that the House is going to be very, very difficult to hold. I mean, it depends. We're still several months out. But the Senate was, you know, more hopeful. And I can tell you the last thing that Republicans want is to have... It, not just a divided Congress, but both houses of Congress in the hands of the Democrats, that would be for the Republican Party a disaster. But it also highlights something that, you know, the map is changing every single day. I, I know that we saw seven or eight seats go from strongly Republican to, to leaning Republican. So you see that. But you also have Senate seats, which are now uh, up for grabs, not only Tennessee, but Arizona. There's also a seat in Mississippi where Democrats are going to play hard. Mike Espy is going to run hard. Don't frown up. We just beat you in Alabama, that, so don't. That's not going to happen. Don't frown up. And so, but you have you have Republicans having to spend money at least to protect these seats. And what that means is the Donnellys, the Hyde Camps, the Mansions, those the individuals, red state Democrats, red state Democrats may not have that that those resources blowing back against them. And, but they should be. I mean, elections are just that. And they should be robust. And the American people, every election cycle, should have the right. They have the responsibility, but the right to exercise their will. So no one should get comfortable, and especially the Republicans in, in this era, in terms of the suffering that is going on in this country. And I know they're going to say the unemployment rate is low and all of those things. But as I have traveled this country, People on both sides are still suffering. Mm -hmm. And we spend a whole lot of time talking about the drama that's happening. But I certainly don't believe that we can understand the state of, of, of our union, so mm -hmm. to speak, without understanding the state of the streets. And that's whether somebody is rural, you know, in rural parts of this country or urban parts of this country. The working poor and the middle class in this country are suffering. And people are tired of it. And they're showing it through their election. Mm -hmm. And this will be, the Republicans will be put to the test and, and, in 2018. And issues like that, all issues, tend to be a referendum on the president, even in a midterm election. And I would say our, the President the Trump has done more to help working men and women than any president in recent memory. The reality is that his, his top 
tough talk on trade is actually paying off. His tough talk on, on North Korea is actually paying off. Uh, you see an economy that's growing. You see wages that are going up. I think the Republicans have Can a I just very good ask a really quick question, Senator Santorum. Uh, Manu Raju did some great reporting talking to Republican senators, and many of them were not ready to sign on to the president's reelection bid. As somebody who knows what it's like to lose in a Democratic wave, as you did in 2006. Thank you for reminding me. You're welcome. <laughs> um, do you understand? Do you think the president is somebody who should be kept as, at arm's length? Uh, in, in, in this election cycle, I think the president, because of his Twitter activity and, and character issues that are out there, are gonna, is going to be kept at, uh, at arm's length by folks in in some tough races, particularly in the Northeast. But I think a lot of areas, I mean, you see you know, folks out there embracing the president. Mm -hmm. He's going to be very, North Dakota is a good example. And by the way, going back to Tennessee, in 06 when I lost, everybody lost except Bob Corker in an open seat in Tennessee. That's right. Tennessee is a solid state, and, and, and Marsha Blackburn is going to win that race. You know, I do think that uh, this is going to be a referendum on the president. And I happen to agree more with Rick than I do with Nina on ter in terms of the state of the economy, uh, what the president's policies have been. But the man himself is the issue. And Twitter, uh, you know, screams like he had this morning where he's tweeting out in all caps uh, over <laughs> and over and over again. Uh, this turns people off. It makes people like me uh, very concerned. Well, everybody, I, I, guys, I'm we no. Nope. Oh, we we got to go. Oh, do it on Twitter. Do it on Twitter since we're talking about Twitter. Everybody stand by. Thank you so much. She stays above the fray and is praised by people on both sides of the aisle. Melania Trump is the president's secret weapon. And this week, she will be front and center. That's next. Welcome back. President Trump stayed in Florida Saturday as four former presidents attended the funeral of former First Lady Barbara Bush. The president instead followed the example of many of his predecessors and relied on his better half, the First Lady. Former First Lady Barbara Bush was referred to as her husband's not-so-secret secret weapon. Don't dare criticize George H.W. Bush. Now, President Trump may have found a not-so-secret weapon of his own. I just want to thank First Lady Melania Trump. Melania Trump, solo Saturday, representing her husband as consoler-in-chief at Barbara Bush's funeral, an event President Trump chose not to attend out of respect for the Bush family. I don't know how women can vote for someone who said what he said about Megyn Kelly. It's terrible. As her husband's controversies hit closer and closer to home. I remember thinking, how could your wife think there's a 1% chance you were with prostitutes peeing on each other in Moscow? Melania Trump is keeping her head high and her focus on classic first lady duties. Behind the scenes, Melania Trump is overseeing details of their first state dinner, hosting French President Emmanuel Macron and his wife Brigitte next week. There is truly no better ambassador for our country than our beautiful First Lady Melania. The First Lady taking the lead might be a good thing for President Trump, given his view of state dinners as a candidate. I say, why are you doing state dinners for them? Just take up to McDonald's and go back to the negotiating process. 
Now, of course, he is president and wants to reciprocate after the French rolled out the red carpet for the Trumps last year. I was your guest at Bastille Day, and it was one of the greatest parades I've ever seen. It's a high-pressure role for any first lady, especially one who even her husband admits is taking a lot of incoming. Great, great first lady. You think her life is so easy, folks? Not so easy. And it's the most important foreign meeting of his presidency. But is President Trump doing the work to prepare for high stakes meetings with Kim Jong-un? That's next. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.